going into our senior year, uh, we kind of had the idea, like, let's, let's like team up to do freelance. Um, our school let us use the studio space for the summer. They're like, yeah, if you guys want to work out of the space, like, fine. Like we took the entire studio, set it up like our own design studio. You know, we had our desks, we had uh, spots for our, our team members, which were our classmates that we would hire for projects. We would take the mega bus up from Philly to New York every single week, going to networking events and trade shows and uh, trying to get any business we could. And then we'd come back and we'd say, all right, you're a really good illustrator. You're going to do this. You're a really good graphic designer. You do this. And, you know, working with our friends. And um, by the time we graduated, I think we'd worked with over like 20 different companies, like 15 different students that we'd uh, collaborated with. And we were like, this is, yeah, this is, this is going to continue. <laughs> we're having too much fun and uh, we have clients. So we moved right into his parents' basement. Hello there, internet, and welcome to the 3D Prince Authority podcast. This is a place where we come together to have a transparent and no BS conversation about the world of 3D printing and technology. My name is Adam Fosnot, I'm a mechanical engineer, and I have been fascinated by 3D printing for as long as I can remember. Let's get started. I love transparency, so full disclosure to the audience. Um, we accidentally didn't hit record. I accidentally didn't re hit record. This isn't your fault. Um, so we're gonna take two here and kick things off. Um, Adam, I would love it if you could introduce yourself and dive design to the audience. Sure, no problem. Don't mind do over. Um, so yeah, I'm Adam. Uh, I'm one of the founders of Dive Design. We're a product design and engineering studio in Northern New Jersey, uh, about 30 minutes outside of Manhattan. Um, and our focus is developing products, uh, really starting, you know, from, from nothing, doing that early research, uh, helping companies to position themselves, going through the, the steps of, of uh, prototyping, whether that's for a physical product or a business idea or even a new workflow. Uh, we apply the same process to anything that we are working on, whether it's trying to solve a problem, uh, something that hasn't been answered yet, or somebody has an idea that they want validated before they start production, uh, we really apply that same design process um, in order to really create industry-shaping products, right? That's really our goal here, to take a look at everything and see how we can help bridge the gap between technologies and opportunities. Um, and I said we use a lot of that design process. Personally, I, I'm an industrial designer, so I uh, went to school for product design and, you know, was able to secure a really good understanding of the design process that uh, has become invaluable in, in everything we do now, whether that's a physical product or a business, like I said, uh, that, that's our goal. Awesome. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to dive into all those areas. Um, and I would love if we could help the, the audience get to know you a little bit better uh, by sharing something about yourself a little bit outside of what you do for work. Sure. So... Um, outside of work, uh, it, it's even tricky answering this the second time. Uh, you know, it's not something I, I think of often. I'm, I'm very uh, involved in work and, you know, always in the studio. Um, but I do really love the outdoors. I love traveling. I love experiencing new things. Um, mountain biking, we're, we're in Booton, New Jersey, where there's uh, surprisingly lots of nature around here. You can walk out the back end uh, into the woods. So we'll, we'll typically take breaks and, and go for a quick hike. Uh, we tried to go magnet fishing the other day and, uh, we lost the magnet pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, so definitely, definitely, you know, enjoy the outdoors to offset the, uh, most of my life being in the studio. Yeah. Um, New Jersey isn't usually the place that I associate with like great outdoor spaces. Um, but it's good to hear that they do, that they do exist. Um, especially 30 minutes from Manhattan. Nice. Okay. That's not, not far at all for, for outdoor space. What is magnet fishing? Is a ma is the magnet the fish or do you use a magnet for fishing? And clearly I'm showing my ignorance here. Um, I don't do a lot of fishing. <laughs> I believe it's a pretty recent like internet trend. You know, you see YouTube videos, TikToks of people doing this. Um, so long story short, we needed a really strong magnet for a prototype where right? we had okay. a pull some screws out of a very small prototype. So we needed a magnet. My partner forced one on Amazon. He's doing like super powerful magnets. And he saw a magnet fishing kit. And of course he's seen the videos. So what people do is they'll go to a famous city or they'll go to an abandoned area and they'll throw a magnet into the water with a rope attached and they'll see what they can drag out. 
people find bikes, they find car parts, they find jewelry, buried treasure, like that you don't know what you're going to find. So we were like, we're in this old industrial town, <laughs> there's all these factories around here. We got a river, let's try it. Let's, uh, we used the prototype, the, the magnet to get the screws out of the prototype and we had straight for the woods and uh, we caught some rocks and the waterfall and uh, we lost that magnet pretty quickly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. That no, sounds so interesting though. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> nice. Um, in our first take, um, Adam shared a lot about uh, kind of your childhood and making things and starting some small business ventures. Do you want to touch on any of that? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was having trouble separating, um, you know, life from business. And I realized it really always has been, you know, cohesive for me. And I always was very interested in uh, connecting the dots you know, leveraging assets, trying to create those assets. Uh, when I was in high school, I would, I worked at a pizza place and I got all of my friends hired because I loved like team building and I loved bringing people together that really worked well on a team. And, uh, you know, we delivered pizza together and everybody had such a great time. And I always loved that so much. Uh, and when I got to college, you know, working on, on a lamp business, right? I loved uh, design. I, I thought I wanted to be a lighting designer. So working with my friends to design our own home goods and making like an online store and selling at pop-up shops. Um, you know, I always just love that, the, the idea of, uh, you know, bringing people together to create awesome things. Um, and it, it's what I did a lot growing up, you know, always taking things apart and uh, trying to experiment. And, you know, when, when I met my partner and, and we, the idea of dive design came about, it was like a very obvious next step. It wasn't like, we'd never thought of a business. It was like, oh, I've been doing all these things all my life. This is, it's finally time to actually put a name to it and uh, start the company. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, I have a lot of a lot of similarities in your story where I always grew up tinkering um, and like had some small, uh, minuscule business ventures here and there where I'd make a few bucks, especially in college. Um, so you went to school for industrial design, and then did dive design start right out of that, or was there kind of a gap in between those two stages of your life? Yeah, so definitely not enough of a gap. Well, okay. <laughs> it's a good thing. And also, you know, there's obviously uh, challenges with that. Um, so my partner and I, uh, we were both very, I guess, eager, right? Very adventurous, you know, from freshman year, we were like signing up for all the competitions. And we actually, we didn't really know each other. We got paired up for a competition. And we we're like, great, we're working together. Like, hi, you know, I'm Adam. And uh, we started working together. And we were like, we were up all night. We were, you know, all over the studio, ideas everywhere. You know, we, we really were like taking this seriously and, and uh, hitting it off as, as teammates on this project. And uh, in the end, on that first project, we ended up placing like, it was like number, I don't know, 10 in like this global competition. And we were like, oh, this is really cool. Like we should keep doing these. And, and we kept, you know, signing up for all these hackathons and competitions and we started to win them and, you know, really started to, to take it seriously. Wow, we work really well together uh you know can we do like other things together like after those competitions we started we did our internships uh our, our sophomore year he was out in california doing scn on tv products i was in brooklyn doing medical devices in, a, in, a, in an incubator and uh after that we both left with like all of this great experience and connections and we were still doing freelance and we started to meet people in philadelphia where we went to school um all the the inventors and the maker community and startups and it, there it's really blended together. Uh, and we started to find people to help out. We just love being involved. We love working with these teams and again, connecting the dots for people and saying like, oh, you need graphics designer. Like I know somebody in my school who can do that, like bringing them in. And we were both doing this kind of like helping each other out. Um, and that's when we realized like, this is a lot of fun. We work really well together. Uh, we should probably like take this more seriously. Um, our junior year, Going into our senior year, uh, we kind of had the idea like let's let's like team up to do freelance. Um, our school let us use the studio space for the summer. They're like, yeah, if you guys want to work out of the space, like fine. Like we took the entire studio, set it up like our own design studio. You know, we had our desks, we had uh, spots for our, our team members, which were our classmates that we would hire for projects. We would take the mega bus up from Philly to New York every single week, going to networking events and trade shows and uh, trying to get any business we could. And then we'd come back and we'd say, all right, you're a really good illustrator. You're going to do this. You're a really good graphic designer. You do this. And, 
you know, working with our friends. And um, by the time we graduated, I think we'd work with over like 20 different companies, like 15 different students that we'd uh, collaborated with. And we were like, this is, yeah, this is, this is going to continue. <laughs> we're having too much fun and uh, we have clients. So we moved right into his parents' basement and uh, th those were the beginnings. Man, that, that is such a cool story. I especially love the, the taking the mega bus from Philly to New York City and trying to drum up business. Um, for you, was that like an intimidating experience? Were you just like too high on the work where it didn't bother you? That's a, that's a really good question because my binds are falling down. Oh, no. um, <laughs> just cardboard tape to the window right now. Uh, so yes and no. Um, like I said, growing up, this was who I was. I loved meeting people and, you know, connecting the dots and solving problems and inventing things and designing things. So it was all I'd ever wanted, but I also had really bad social anxiety. Like my freshman year, I could hardly raise my hand in class without like heart palpitations. So for me, it was like this huge step, but it was like the only logical step. Um, when I did the medical device incubator my sophomore year, I think that's really what changed for me because I knew I wanted to do all these things. I knew I wanted to one day have a company and work with all these people. And when I did this accelerator, I was a designer, a sophomore on a team of medical students working with an engineering firm, solving problems in a hospital. So, you know, I'm like hardly even understand the design process. And they're like, I right, go interview 20 doctors in this hospital and put together a presentation two weeks later. I couldn't sleep at night. Right. I was like, it wasn't the research. It was the fact that I have to come back and present my research to a team of like surgeons and engineers and doctors. And, you know, it was this like huge caliber that I'd never even come close to. Um, so for me, that was it was like the hardest thing I'd ever done. Um, but of course, you learn a lot from those things. You learn from from trauma in a lot of ways and it forces you to grow. And it helped me to bring down that barrier for myself, which was feeling comfortable doing those things, feeling comfortable sharing ideas and speaking because I had the energy or I had the motivation to go out and do it, but it was just incredibly hard. Um, so, you know, it was breaking down those walls to be able to do it with less resistance. Uh, that, that was really essential. And uh, it, it always just felt so right. It was always like one of my favorite things to do. So, yeah, other thank than you. The hard other than what? Other than like how hard it was, it was like also so enjoyable. Like I loved forcing myself to grow like that because I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I uh, um, I think a lot of us can look back to like seasons of life when like we, we, were, we were really shaped or changed through something that was really hard. Um, I've had my own challenges with, uh, with anxiety. Um, I've told a number of people like when I went to high school, if I talked to like a single person all day, that was like a crazy day for me. Um, <laughs> so I can, yep. I can imagine that, that it was really hard, but again, gave you some of those, those skills to, to kind of help you grow. Um, so it's really cool to, to be able to point to, to that experience. Uh, yeah. I just want to add, it was, I think the biggest thing I learned was like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, mm -hmm. right? That it was okay to be uncomfortable because it, it was a good thing. It was, um, like I, I watched a, a talk that Arnold Schwarzenegger gave years ago. And one of the things that stood out was like, he was in the gym doing, you know, for four hours a day, multiple times, it would burn so bad, but it only got him more excited, more motivated because he knew the burn meant that he was getting stronger. And so for me, it was like the same experience. It was like, there's nothing else, you know, I wouldn't want it like, a, this is like the most terrible thing. I, I couldn't imagine doing more of it, like standing up, speaking in front of these people. But afterwards, I feel, I feel so much stronger and I would be so glad that I'd done it. And just keeping that momentum going, continually making it harder. Like if it wasn't uncomfortable, it, it and then I wasn't growing. Um, so we really forced ourselves into a lot of like situations like that. I mean, before we graduated, we were pitching to, I remember we were pitching to a team of surgeons that were, that had this startup in one of the hospital buildings that we had class in. So we would go up to, to pitch to these doctors, like this process that, uh, that we were developing. And then we would go down to, to class and hope that we didn't run into them because they didn't know we were students there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was like fake it to make it. It was, yeah, comfortable with it. And, uh, 
you know, it just helped us to grow very, very quickly. Uh, we would, one of the other things we would do was uh, when we had like business calls, when there's a company or a client that we hadn't met and it was going to be a virtual call, we would go from, we were in the basement of the building we were in, like the design studio. We would go up to the biology studios on the top floor where they had like cad cadavers and labs and, and all the plants and stuff. And we would, because they had all the big white walls, we would set up our camera there and do the calls there uh, in the bio building so that people didn't know we were working out of like a university, like design studio. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine someone picking up and being like, wait, are you in, are you in like the, the Robert Sherman lab? I know that lab. I went to school there or some weird coincidence like that. <laughs> <laughs> you would have to keep like the anatomical models like out of the frame. Yeah. You just push them all up in the corner. And then have your, your conference call and set everything back up. Um, yeah. I love it. Um, the other thing that, that stood out to me was uh, it seems like you got paired with a pretty great partner. Hey there, it's Adam. Could you do me a favor? If you are enjoying this podcast, could you rate it five stars wherever you happen to be listening? It's totally free of charge, and through the magic of internet algorithms, it will help more people hear the podcast. Thanks kind of on that first project um i can think of college projects where i had really good partners but i can think of a lot more when uh i didn't have great group projects um so so kind of how has your your partnership changed over time as you took it from like student competitions to running a real business yeah yeah it's absolutely evolved in so many ways um my partner alex and i we have a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. And I think that's what's enabled it to be such an amazing partnership, right? What, what I lack, he makes up for, you know, we're very complimentary. Um, he is the business guy, right? He's, he studied industrial design, but he concentrated in business and all his life he grew up buying and selling and hustling, right? He would, uh, you know, as like a, a middle school student was running around mowing people's lawns for cash. Then he started buying and selling cars uh, when he was in high school. And he sold over like 200 cars or something like that. It was just his hobby, his passion. So he was comfortable at a young age going out there and making sales, right? Talking to people, whether they were like four times his age at that time, you know, didn't matter to him. Uh, where me, I was like, you know, the hermit in the back of the class, like dissecting things in, in middle school. Because, uh, you know, I'd rather like work with my hands and, and design things and, and do research than I would talk to someone. Um, so, you know, I was always more of like the fly on the wall, the, uh, you know, understanding the process, understanding the, the clients and the needs and the requirements. And I would write all the proposals early on, and then he would take the proposals and he would do the talking where, uh, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it, or he would go out and, um, set up like all of the, the business accounts that we need, getting the LLC, uh, you know, figuring out what we had to do to not be an illegal company working out of our, our apartment. You know, he was making sure that we were doing things the right way and, you know, having those conversations. So it was definitely a very powerful uh, partnership that we had. And, and over time, you know, as, as both industrial designers, there were challenges, right? Because it's, we both want to do everything. We both want to design everything and, you know, use our idea. And so we definitely learned how to, or we've learned where we fit in the process, uh, what we do best at, uh, especially early on we were doing everything we were doing the designing the prototyping the, the business the marketing now we have people on our team so we get to focus on growing the business more so than we do having to you know prototype every nut and bolt and every product uh, which has also really enabled us to uh you know more so work to our strong suits and be involved in everything yeah it's it's really cool to hear you say that it's something that i've heard from a lot of other founders and founder groups is that um having a co-founder with some different skills and then figuring out where the two of you fit within the scope of the business is, is incredibly important. So I'm happy that, that you two have that. Um, looking at kind of who you serve, um, I know you've brought up uh, prosthetics and medical a couple times. Is that the bulk of the type of company that you work with or is there more of a, a broad range? Yeah, so it's, it's across the board, especially at the start. You know, when we started out, um, and, you know, it was really, of course, we had to take what we could get as students, as, you know, a startup. But it also made us so much stronger, right? Because we got comfortable with, 
never turning down a project. Somebody would say, hey, we need this thing that does this that we've never even heard of, let alone worked on. And we said, heck yeah, you know, we applied the, the same process to figure it out. Um, so, you know, we always had that mentality of, of being comfortable with that uncertainty. Um, so early on, like one of our first clients was the Finnish uh, Long Drink, a liquor company from, uh, where is it, Denmark? I can't remember exactly where they're from. Oh, Finland, that's in the name. <laughs> used to the name, I didn't even, didn't even click. But um, we were doing their like branding and sales sheets and my twin brother is a graphic designer and he was helping us out doing like branding and, and marketing for this company. On the other hand, we were doing like survival tools and, and uh, these tools that, you know, how to survive like crazy conditions to, you know, save people's lives. And so the diversity was just incredible and, and it taught us so much. So then fast forward, um, we definitely honed in on products and, and companies uh, that are meaningful, that we want to work on, that we, th we think will have an impact. Um, we love, you know, taking an opportunity of taking a problem and finding that right opportunity, not just making something to make something, but making something that will actually make a difference in some way. And of course, medical, healthcare, prosthetics, working with animals, that, that fits that uh, so well. Um, and it really has become uh, a big part of the business. So, you know, we do the consulting on one hand, we do product design and engineering and all the conventional stuff. But since we started working with a company called Bionic Pets, we've really started to diversify the, the type of work that we do and, and build a bit of a niche in additive manufacturing because it really opened our eyes to uh, the possibilities. You know, we didn't, we, we didn't start using additive because we were like, oh, this is neat. Like it actually solved a real problem for us, a business problem, you know, margins, uh, a product that couldn't previously be made. Um, so we got very, very excited by it. And we started to continue in that direction. We became really ingrained with Bionic Pets and from there, We've just found all these other opportunities to apply a similar uh, mentality, a similar workflow. And uh, it's really becoming a different part of the company in a lot of ways. Okay, interesting. I, uh, I can definitely relate to you're just starting out and you'll just take any project that comes towards you. I've taken on some, some side consulting projects that don't necessarily align with where I see our business going long term. Um, but to your point, I think it's been valuable because I've learned so much. Um, I think you can learn kind of what types of jobs that you like and what types of jobs that you don't like and kind of, again, where your skills really fit. Um, yeah. But can you dive more into Bionic Pets? Who are they and, and how, how do you work with them? Sure, sure. So this was, this was a, a really big opportunity for us. Um, personally, like, other than industrial design, my passion growing up was always prosthetics. Um, my father was an industrial designer, my mother a uh, pediatrician. So I always had like design, but also medical uh, and, and working with people and the emotional connection you have to like helping someone. Um, and I think when I was in eighth grade, uh, I saw a TED talk by Scott Summit, who was like pioneering green printing prosthetics. And this was like eight years ago, nine, I don't even remember but at that moment i was like that's what i'm gonna do like that's exactly it you know taking something so new like the technology component that i was so obsessed with combining it with changing people's lives creating parts of their body that you know was so foreign to them you know if you use a limb lose a limb putting a metal pipe uh, on your body is just like this foreign object that it's so hard to connect with and he was creating these designs that were merging the two uh, and you know, really changing how people saw themselves. And I thought that was the most fascinating thing. But of course, like as a as an acre, like how the heck do you do that, right? What path do you take to to be able to do that type of thing? Um, and of course, industrial design, you know, had the most elements. I knew I hated math, so I wasn't going to be an engineer. I knew I wanted to experiment and play with technology, so I wasn't going to be a clinician or technician. Um, industrial design was it. So. You know, still having that love going to school for design. Like I got very lucky. My school merged with medical school. So my sophomore year, I was taking classes with medical students and going to the <laughs> hospitals. And I'm like, okay, okay, this is cool. Uh, and throughout that and throughout all the, the events we would go to, I met some people who were 3D printing prosthetics like in a garage. And it was like crazy. I, you know, I'd use 3D printers for like a few prototypes, but like 
I'd never seen somebody 3D printing things like that in their garage. Um, and I would, you know, build relationships with those people because I was just so fascinated by it. And uh, by the time I was a senior, uh, one of those connections reached out and was like, hey, I know you like that, you know, 3D printing design thing. Uh, I've been working with this company, Bionic Pets, but I actually just got a job building exoskeletons out in Washington. Any chance you could pick up on this project? And I just like, you know, it's like one of those moments you just collapse, like, oh my gosh, like this guy, like the who runs Bionic Pets, Derek, I've seen him on Animal Planet building prosthetics for elephants. Like, I can't believe this is happening. You know, it was like the, <laughs> the most uh, surreal, you know, moment being uh, still in school and, and getting that connection. Um, so that, that's really what started it all. And we went down there, we visited Derek, uh, we, we saw the operation and we were like, so like, what can we do? What's wrong? Like, what are we not working? And he's like, what isn't wrong? Like, you know, everything is, is so, you know, like I, there's so many orders. He's the only person making them. There were so many challenges, right? There are so many things that could be improved. And there were so many products that could be developed that weren't. Um, so, you know, when you're, when you're a one man operation doing everything, you don't have time to experiment. You don't have time to try things differently because, you know, by the time you've uh, done one test, you have like 10 other orders that are just waiting to go out. Um, so we, we formed this, this amazing also partnership where, you know, we've realized like, hey, we can do all the experimenting for you. And, you know, you bring the animals, you bring the expertise. I mean, they've been doing it for 20 plus years, thousands and thousands of prosthetics for animals of all kinds. So, uh, you know, we filled all the gaps and we started with uh, one product in particular, the Fulham prosthesis, which at the time was the biggest challenge for them. It would take like 20 hours of his time to make one of those because you have to mold the entire dog. There's nothing to mount to, there's no limbs. You have to create a, a vest. So they would mold the entire dog. They would create these like 80 pound plaster molds to then carve and shape. And they would pull uh, foams and plastics and composites and they would have to trim it and send it out for fitting. And if something wasn't right, they'd have to rebuild it. And it was just, it was just ridiculous to be doing as uh, such a small operation. Do you have an idea of how long that process took? It was, so in terms of like his time alone, it was like 15 hours. Okay. Um, insane for one device. Um, it, to, for the customer, it could be months. Okay. You could be waiting for months to get your device back just because, you know, there's so many people waiting in the queue to, to get one that takes so long. There's so many other products that have to be made. It was, you know, at the, at the point we came in, they were literally having to turn down orders. There's so many dogs that like need something like this but they didn't have the capacity and it's, it wasn't like they could just bring someone else on what he was mm -hmm. doing was so unique you know you had to have been doing this for the past like 10 15 20 years to even come close to uh that sort of fidelity the, the accuracy like the touch that he had was just incredible because it's not like working with a human you know they can't just say oh that, that doesn't fit right like can you tweak this you know oh, the gate's a little bit off it's like it really takes a lot of just you know, real world experience to have a feel for, for things like that, um, that only, you know, he had. So that was like the big thing that was like, we're going to fix that for you. Like, we're going to figure out how to do something different here. Um, you know, this is a huge opportunity. There's so many dogs that need this. Uh, we don't care what it's going to take. You know, we're going to figure that out for you. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that's where, that's where it really started. This and, is uh, so interesting to me because yeah. From from my from what I can see, right? Um, this is all like such new information because a lot of people watching or listening have seen the heartwarming video on Facebook where they give a dog a 3D printed prosthetic leg and he's running with his family again, or um, they they make a, a little wheelchair for a turtle that was 3D printed and now he can move around again and it's it's adorable and heartwarming and i see them blow up all the time but i didn't realize that there was a practical side to it if that makes sense you said there are there are thousands of prosthetics that that uh biotic pets and you have, have worked on together do you have a question about 3d printing if so i would love to answer it feel free to leave any questions in the comments down below or go to 3dprintauthority.com forms to submit your question thanks so, I mean, they've done in their like 15 year history, I think the number is like over 25,000. Okay. Uh, the past year of working with them, we've done, I think just over 100 devices, 3D printed. Okay. Um, 
but I mean, you go, there's communities for these families, for these dogs, you know, it's a big thing when a dog has, or anyone, any animal that, or person, anything that has a, a limb amputated, it's, it's a big change. And, you know, there's not a lot of resources available for these families. So there's these, these communities, uh, there, there's one called the, um, the tripods community. And, you know, they have thousands and thousands of people in this Facebook group, all of which are like sharing resources and sharing ideas and, you know, my dog just had a, a surgery and, and, you know, this is happening. Like, have you seen this? What should I try? It's, it's not a common thing, but it's still common enough where, you know, people get together and, and they try to share, you know, resources and advice because it's just not very many resources. Um, so, you know, it's definitely, it's a lot more than I think people realize. Yeah. This is so heartwarming. I wasn't <laughs> entirely sure we would get here, but this is great. Um, <laughs> so it sounds like it's primarily dogs that you work with. Is that fair? Primarily, yes, but not okay. only. Okay. Um, so what what role does 3D printing play in this process? I know we got a little glimpse of, we'll call it two work days, but then a couple months to go from seeing the dog to like finished product with, with what they were doing before. How have you worked with them and worked with 3D printing to change the process? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's changed in a lot of ways. Um, so starting with the full and prosthetic, that's the that's the main product that we developed together. Um, and at that time, so to give some context to like when we started, um, you know, we we said, hey, yeah, we can do that. So they were like, great, shouldn't take that long. Like they started <laughs> accepting all of the orders. Anytime somebody would say, hey, I want one, they'd say, great, we can do it. We're working on something new. So people were paying. The the log was getting long. I think they were like. 40 people on the list waiting to get one. And we hadn't printed a single thing yet. We didn't even have a printer that was big enough to print one of these. <laughs> we were, I think we were actually still in the basement. We were still in the basement at the time. Um, and then on top of that, Derek from Bionic Pets said, oh, by the way, we're filming a new season of our show, Wizard of Paws. Do you guys want to be it? Be on it with this uh, this new prosthetic that you're working on? We'll come to your space and you know we'll film everything. And we're like, yes we're in a basement though <laughs> we were like uh yes like very hesitantly said yes to that because it's you know such an incredible opportunity um but of course we had to very quickly uh move out of the basement find a find a space and design this product that had never been done before um so it was definitely a crazy few months but uh let's see i mean we started with the design process right that same process we apply for anything you know we took a survey of everything that had been tried what were all the things you tried there like what what's working what's not working where are the biggest bottlenecks what's taking the most time what's the most expensive material you know where uh where is everything going wrong right and it, it turned out like the entire process from like the mold to the, the actual device itself was like just tremendous uh, the plaster like the amount that you need for an entire torso is just crazy uh the plastics you know the the, the sheets of them crazy expensive because you need so much of it for these devices. So we're like, all right, we really have to start from scratch here. Um, we started with, so basically taking, they take a mold of the dog, they wrap it in a tape that hardens, you take it off. They would fill that with plaster and we said, why don't we try scanning it? So we started to 3D scan those and we figured out a workflow to 3D scan that the outside, but still get an accurate inside. So great, we have a 3D model of the dog that we can work with. Next was, all right, they already he was already making a design. The design that he was making was working, except it was just very hard to change. It was too heavy, it wasn't breathable, it wasn't flexible where it needed to be, it was all one material. Um, so we had to figure out, one, how to design it, how to design something so custom, so intricate repeatably, but also how do you then produce that in a way that's lightweight and flexible and repeatable and doesn't require lots of you know, manual labor. So on the design side, uh, we teamed up with a company called Landau Design Technology, an amazing uh, designer that we met when we were in Philadelphia. I think we knew somebody, one of our professors, we linked up with him and he was doing computational design, designing like 30 acre green roofs, all using algorithms. And, and we were like, at the time, we were like, what does any of this mean? Like, how did we wrap our heads around it? But all we knew is that he could plant thousands of trees and by moving a few sliders, all of the trees would change and change their location and proximity to each other. So we're like, if you could do that for trees, could you do that for physical products? 
So we very quickly brought him onto the team. Uh, and Chris Landhouse has been an incredible asset in, in that form, helping us to create this digital workflow. So basically we brought the additive side, you know, we've worked with 3D printing in school, we knew what it was uh, and we knew that there was potential for it. So we brought the technical aspect, uh, the design aspect, the prototyping, he brought the, the digital side and together um, in the span of, I think only a few weeks, we had, it was a crazy crunch getting ready for the, the TV show. We were you know, sleeping here and uh, working long nights. Um, we figured out the right process to basically automate the design of these devices. So this is, this is what the jacket looks like. And okay. You can see it's crazy intricate. Like the, there's a mount here that's nice and solid, nice and thick, but the ends are nice and flexible. So figuring out all the, the perimeters and uh, all of the requirements for the device uh, we were able to build into an algorithm. So instead of having to draw each spline and, you know, do all the lattice like custom and, you know, making all these features, we upload the scan. And a few minutes later, we have the final designed unit. Um, so that was key to making this repeatable. It was key to making it more accessible. It didn't require, you know, a very talented designer to sit there and design each one. It was a software, it was automated. Uh, so we figured that part out. And then on the printing side and the production side, we tried every freaking printer and material and process and post finishing. And I mean, we were working with like industrial printing companies down in Texas and across the States. Nobody could do it. Nobody could figure out how to print something this big, this intricate and as durable as we needed it. We used nylon and um, pet G and uh, what else did we use? Polycarbonate and composites and nothing was working until I think my partner was like playing around with some samples we had. Uh, and he was like, why don't we try TPU? And we're like, may as well. <laughs> We've never <laughs> used TPU before, but we had some and we printed it and like, that was it. And we were like, all right, this is the stuff. You know, we've done like a little teeny thing and we were like, it's stiff here, but it's flexible here. This is perfect. So we scaled it up and uh, very quickly found the supplier, found the right kind of printer, um, and we started producing them. It's all it's all TPU. Everything we do now for these is TPU because it's so versatile. It's rigid where we need it rigid and, and flexible, and that applies to the jackets themselves, but now also all of the other components and other products that we've designed. It's just been like the golden material for this. I was going to ask if that was all the same material and then what material it was. So I'm happy you got there without me having to ask because when you when you bent it, it looked like substantially different in terms of flexibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's all one material. Um, it's all like at the bottom, you know, we have a metal pylon adapter attached to this. It's not flexible. It's very durable. It's very impact absorbing. Uh, and then the rest you know, around the rib cage is nice and flexible. Uh, and the other requirement was it needs to be not only comfortable and safe in terms of wear, but if a dog decides to chew on it, it's not going to break apart. It's not going to, you know, get eaten. I mean, one, TPU is used in dog toys. And two, it's, it's freaking indestructible. Like, toss this out the window or on the fifth floor and I can do it, you know, 20 more times. Uh, no problem. Yeah, I uh, I don't use much TPU, but this is this is such a glowing endorsement, and it makes so much sense in in your application where it's technically uh, an elastomer, but it's also fairly stiff, and just by changing the thicknesses, you can get those those different properties. Um, yeah, digging more into the the 3D printing side of things. Um, what has i know you've got a ton of machines behind you what has your experience been with 3d printing as it applies to your business and how has your experience with different levels of machine kind of shaped your understanding do you want to be a guest on this podcast if so go to 3dprintauthority.com forms to apply thanks yeah so being that we're a startup, being that you know we have no funding, no investors, anything like that. Everything we've done has needed to be scalable. Um, you know, we our first so our first 3D printer was a, a Dremel uh, 
3D, 45. He's one of the, the early, you know, Dremel 3D printers. Um, we were in school and we reached out. We were like, hey, we can't afford a printer, but we'll do free work for you. Uh, so they were like, oh, you mean like a marketing collaboration? They're like, oh yeah, one of those things. <laughs> so they were like, great, you guys are, you know, you're young, you have energy. This would be a great partnership. So we ended up teaming up with Dremel and, uh, you know, getting the laser cutter, getting the 3D printer. And that's where we were really like, all right, this stuff is cool. Like, you know, we had the entire studio, like the entire program was like, can we use your printer? Can we use your laser cutter? We don't want to walk across campus to the schools. It was more expensive. Um, so very quickly, we were like, this is an asset. Like, this is a very valuable asset. Um, we can leverage this uh, to get jobs. We can leverage this to, you know, show what we're capable of. We can have access to those resources. So it was game changing for us. Uh, when we couldn't afford things like business cards and, you know, website fees and all of that, we were 3D printing terrariums and selling them in the pop-up shops on campus. You know, we were 3D printing samples to give out. We were selling things. Um, so, you know, from day one, it was a very essential tool. Um, it wasn't until Bionic Pets that we realized, okay, like this is, this is game changing for more than just a little, you know, startup in school. Like this is, this has a lot of potential. Um, but at the time, again, we were still a startup in a basement. So we had to start at the bottom. Um, that's always been our ethos, like doing the most with the least. So to start, uh, you know, we were working with the most accessible desktop 3D printers. And you can see behind me, we have a whole wall of the artillery sidewinders. Fairly inexpensive, you know, consumer grade 3D printer that we use to produce, you know, hundreds of these. Um, very reliably, very accurately, uh, fairly fast. Um, so, you know, there's some companies that just say, all right, what's the most expensive advanced technology? Let's use it. Or like, why don't you start on the ground floor and, you know, go as far as you can and then move up, do as far as you can, then move up. And that's exactly what we've done. Um, we actually, another example is this during the pandemic when everything was shut down, things were very slow. We had a gentleman in the UK reach out, Justin Oliver Davis. He's a, uh, He's a bilateral, so he's an he's a amputee. He's missing both of his legs above the knee. Um, and he's just like the most amazing person. He's climbed some of the tallest peaks in Europe. He's uh, an amazing uh, public speaker. He's you know, changing people's lives. And he just messaged us one day and was like, hey, what material are you guys using? That's really interesting. And like being me, being like obsessed with prosthetics for the past like however many years, I was like, we're using TPU. Like, what are you doing? Like, can we help you? <laughs> he was like, oh, I'm trying to make myself in better feet. And instantly, like, you know, that was my entire, uh, like the height of the pandemic. Every yeah. single day we were collaborating, working together. Um, you know, he wanted better feet for, for exercising, for rock climbing. Um, so I would design things in, in New Jersey and he would 3D print them on his desktop printer in the UK. Uh, and they were, what we were printing, I actually have one here. They were far better his perspective, not mine, obviously, I haven't tried them. They are far better than anything <laughs> they ever use uh, on legs without knees. They're, they're called uh, short legs, but they don't have the, the knees. Better for lower to the ground climbing and exercise. He needed something that could roll. He needed something that was impact absorbing. He needed something that was modular so that when, his, uh, when it was all muddy, he could go inside and he could change the sole. Um, he needed something that was like grippy and flexible, but also like impact absorbing. These were all things, you know, that he could 3D print in his living room that no company in the world was able to create for him on, on a higher production level. Um, you know, people have been working for years and years on, on advanced prosthetic solutions where this guy's 3D printing them in his living room and it's enabling him to do so much more. So, uh, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, 3D printing, you know, has just become so essential in so many ways, not only for our business, but for the impact that we can have in the world with other people, with other animals. Um, and it's been scalable, right? We had, you can see we have the artilleries and we just got in, I know you, you spoke with Mike Worski from Filament Innovations uh, very recently, one of his new uh, Icarus 3D printers. And it's, it's, uh, it's pretty game changing for us, I gotta say. Um, it's really taking things to the next level and uh, we're gonna be doing some pretty big things soon. <laughs> big Man. in terms of like, I just printed this last night in uh, about two hours. So you print this on the artillery, this probably take about maybe a day? two days. A day, two days, Five. yeah. Right, this was two hours. 
it's like it's game changing not only for prosthetics but for product design in general you know localized accessible manufacturing uh, opening up the, up the opening up the door to so many more designers to be able to create products i mean i i made a, a pencil holder in 10 minutes 10 minutes i was like oh, i'm not gonna go to target i'm just gonna print one you know it's like, i'm looking at that and i'm looking at my my standard rather boring desktop printers to my right uh, and i'm like it's four hours <laughs> it was like maybe 15 maybe 15 minutes it's like yeah. so cool so, yeah <laughs> very exciting to have this machine uh it's a it's pretty large as you can see three foot build volume um high flow extrusion system so it's got a titanium heater core with multiple heater cores on it. So the amount of plastic it extrudes is just insane. And, and we're so excited to be, to not only have it, but to be working with Mike. I mean, they're, they're about an hour and a half from us, uh, you know, building these in, in Pennsylvania. And we're just so excited to be able to work with a local company like that, uh, you know, leveraging, leveraging their amazing technology. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, what you're working on is is just so cool, in my opinion. Um, I want to try to pull out just a couple themes to recap for the audience. Um, 3D printing scaled with you. So you were able to start small and grow over time. And that's not something that you can do with an injection mold at all. Like the 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 bar for entry is usually at least you know five, 10 grand compared to buying a $200 3D printer and then adding another one and adding another one as you can scale um which just has such a, a powerful impact for businesses and i think you guys are such a, a good example um the other one that i want to touch on is um it's hard to call it a digital supply chain or a digital inventory um in your situation but being able to design in one place and manufacture a prosthetic halfway around the world is so incredible and getting design feedback um <clears throat> I imagine that um, very topical as of recording is uh, is the canal with the with the freighter that blocked up all the shipping channels. Um, when you look at global supply chains, being able to send a part file in an email and instantly move your production of parts from one side of the world to the other, I think is going to have a tremendous impact um, in in the years to come. Absolutely. And people saw that with the, the pandemic, you know, printing, somebody would design a new facial and be printed everywhere immediately. No fooling, no waiting, you know, suddenly thousands and thousands were pouring out of cities everywhere. Um, you didn't have to wait for somebody to, uh, you know, to do the molding somewhere. It's crazy. Exactly. And eventually we got to the molding step and that made sense. But 3D printing absolutely played a role there in, in making that, that PPE. Um, we got one final question for you, uh, but before we get there, um, I would love it if you could uh, tell people where they can connect with you, where they can learn more about dive design, and if there's any special calls to action you'd like the audience to take, now's, uh, now's your chance. Awesome. Well, you can find us just about anywhere at Dive Design Co. Dive Design Co. on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. I'm still learning how to use that, but uh, whether occasionally, uh, you can find us on LinkedIn. Our website is stackdesignco.com. Uh, we're always sharing what it is we're working on. We love transparency. We love that about 3D printing. It can be transparent, unlike with molding. Who knows where it's made? You know, who knows where it's coming from? We, we like to be transparent. We like to connect with the people that we work with. Uh, we like to connect with the, the people that we design for on the animal prosthetic side. Uh, it's not something that we say, hey, you know, here's a solution. Does it work for you? If you say, what, what are your requirements? Let's design it for you. Um, you know, we started using things like virtual reality to take a scan and draw in, in 10 minutes, we can design a new prosthetic that's never been made before, send it over to the owner and say, hey, does this look like it's what you're talking about? And we're good to go. You know, it's, it's just uh, <laughs> amazing in, in so many ways, uh, going back to the, the digital inventory thing, uh, like you said, having access to that. Definitely. Um, final question is outside of your products and what you're doing, what is one thing that you see in the world of 3D printing that you're really excited about, whether this is a, a trend, a technology, or just, you know, something that you want to see more of? Yeah. Um, 
right now for me, it really is FDM. You know, we are obviously we're you're, we're utilizing it, leveraging it, but we want to see other people do the same. Uh, it's people. I feel like a lot of people think it's you know it's tapped out, like onto MJF, onto SLS, on the all these other things. Of course, all of those things have you know value in their own ways. They use the right tool for the job, but there's still a lot of potential for the most accessible, at least I think, type of 3D printing out there. And especially with things like high flow, uh, you know, these systems are getting updated. And uh, I think I think things like this are game changing. I've been putting calls out on on LinkedIn uh, for designers who want to collaborate. Just been saying, hey, send me material you want to use. I'll print it. We'll ship it back to you and see what you think. You know, this is. This is a accessibility that we haven't seen before for designers in terms of making products. Uh, so we want to put it out there as an experiment to let other designers play around with. Uh, if you're a designer, if you're an engineer, if you want to design your own lighting, furniture, anything, send us the material and uh, we will print it for you because we also want to see what the boundaries are. You know, we uh, we don't claim to be experts of everything. We you know we understand that innovation is still to come and, and we want to help to uncover it and uh, see what's possible. Awesome. Great answer. And I'm going to say a brave answer, because to your point, <laughs> I see lots of uh, MJF, high speed centering, SLS, you know, that's that's the direction for real applications. But I, I would agree with you where there's there's still a lot further that FDM can be taken. Awesome. Um, Thank you so gonna, much. Oh yeah. Continue. You're not gonna make this with MJF. I mean, this is, I think this is pretty cool. My friend designed this, we printed it. You're not gonna make this with MJF. You're gonna get, you know, a gray part that, you know, you're not gonna want hanging in your living room where we're putting this over the conference room table. We printed it in two hours for maybe a few dollars in material cost. Just like you're not gonna use this printer to create aerospace part, parts that are gonna go you know, in an engine, like you're just not going to do that. <laughs> but you have to, the point of this is to teach people is to, you know, show what's possible and design for the right constraints. Definitely. Um, you're also not going to do it on an MJF printer in two hours. Um, it's going to take much longer than that. Use the right tool for the job. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and your experience and the, the really cool things you are doing uh with 3d printing and uh, we will look forward to connecting with you in the future thanks awesome. so much adam thanks for having me thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my chat with adam from dive design to learn more about what they do and the services they offer visit divedesignco.com if you want to learn a little bit more about me and find all the episodes of the podcast in one easy place, visit 3dprintauthority.com. If you aren't already, please subscribe to 3D Print Authority. It helps the channel grow uh, on whatever platform you might be watching or listening. And this episode was a little unique because it's the first time I was able to feature someone who is doing something really cool and unique with 3D printing. And I want to do more of those. So if you are doing something awesome with 3D printing, please consider going to 3dprintauthority.com slash forms and apply to be a guest on the podcast. Until next time, happy printing.